morning. Is this one working there? Awesome. Yes? Okay. Is this one working there? Hey, how about that? All right, great. I couldn't find you, man. I was looking all over the place. <laughs> all right. Well, good morning. Uh, having a little technical difficulty. If it fades out, I'll just start yelling, okay? And uh, I can do that pretty effectively, so uh, we'll try not to get to that place, though. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 6. Before we get started there, I want to just kind of make a plug uh, that we try to do annually at least once a year. Um, and uh, we're doing some things also uh, associational-wide, hopefully to stir up uh, volunteerism, okay? Uh, and here's what I mean by that. So Southern Baptist of Texas Convention uh, has a ministry of disaster relief. Uh, Jeff Douglas in our church is the unit director uh, for our cleanup and recovery unit. And uh, I'm team leader. And that's about the end of our crew out of 90 churches in our association, a three-county association. That's about the end of our volunteers. Uh, so last year when we had two hurricanes come in uh, on the uh, southern coast, uh, one hit Beaumont, one came in around Lake Charles, Jeff and I uh, deployed down there, and we took trees off of people's houses and property and things like that. And that's what we do, and we do that because it enables us also to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. And uh, so I want to encourage you uh, to be a part of this ministry. Uh, it does require training, okay? Uh, the initial training actually can be done online now. I mean, you can do the total training online, fill out information at the end of it, take, your, take a selfie, Everybody in this generation knows how to take a selfie, okay? Take a selfie, upload that to them. They will send you a badge that will enable you uh, to be on a disaster site. Uh, federal agencies, state agencies recognize that those credentials. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that training. You can go online. We'll give you the website of that. Jeff has some information out in the hallway. So after we disperse from here, you can go there. Uh, if you have been trained, but you haven't been trained in a long time, we'd like for you to put your name down out there. If you've never been trained, but you're interested in being trained, we want to ask you to put your name down and your information where we can connect with you. Uh, this is a wonderful ministry to, uh, to people that are hurting terribly. Uh, not only do we do chainsaw work, getting trees off of uh, uh, property and dangerous trees, hanging limbs, and things like that. But we also do what's called mud out for floods, uh, where we go into a home, we actually get the mud out using shovels and wheelbarrows, cut out the sheetrock that got wet so that builders can come in later and repair the damage. Uh, we do that kind of work. We do work uh, concerning wildfires and so forth. Now, there's other opportunities uh, of service, feeding units. There's a feeding unit at Flint Baptist Church just north of us. Uh, that feeding unit goes out in multiple uh, places. It's one of the prime feeding units in the state of Texas, and they can go in a moment's notice and be at a disaster site and be feeding people quickly. You can train to do that. You can train in communications. 
Uh, you can train in, uh, in, in various ways. Uh, there's a shower unit, shower and laundry unit, where, and that a shower and laundry unit is located in Jacksonville, Texas. Uh, I tell you, if you have ever been on a chainsaw crew and you come in, you're really thankful for the shower and laundry unit, okay? And uh, people uh, tend to that. So I want to encourage you to be a part of this ministry. It's a ministry uh, that uh, not only enables us to serve the needs of people uh, who are hurting and broken and perhaps have lost more than simply property. They may have lost lives of loved ones uh, to enable us to engage them in, in genuine ministry in helping them. So uh, I encourage you to be a part of that. As I said, Jeff will be out in the hallway. Uh, there's a table set up just to the left of the door there. And uh, you can go there, sign your name up, and we'll get you information on how you can be trained. All right. Let's move on here in, in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And here we come in our, we've been in the Lord's Prayer for the last several weeks, uh, just breaking each one down. And today we're in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, I look at this and I, I, I have to remind us, I have to remind myself, I want to remind you, this prayer that Jesus is teaching to his disciples, this model of praying and prayerfulness is only a prayer for believers. It's a prayer for followers. It's a prayer for those, only those, who can say, our Father. And so I, I need us to see that because everything that follows that address is seeking the will of God in the life of a believer. It fits the context of the entire Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount is speaking to believers, to kingdom citizens of how they relate to the living God, how they relate to a world that is opposed to the living God, and how they live as sojourners awaiting entrance into the kingdom. Yet, at the same time, the kingdom of God has come. We are kingdom citizens. We're citizens now. And we live as kingdom citizens here on earth. We're aliens, if you will. Not where we belong. Well, here he is laying out for us a petition that is especially needed for us as believers every day. The reason is, is because we are always in danger and we do not know it. We're always in danger. And we do not know it. I'll tell you a couple of stories. A couple of them I've told before, I believe. I'm going to have to make up some more stories about my childhood. No, seriously. When I was about six years old, I'm riding my bicycle. I was proud that I could ride that bicycle. And as I turned a curve up at the top, I... Subdivision was in a figure eight like this. 
as I turned a curve, I looked, and there were two boys at a door inside a carport, and they had a knife, and they were trying to jimmy the lock. Nobody was home. And they saw me see them. Now, when I left to ride my bicycle, I was going on an adventure, folks. I was six years old, and my mom and dad didn't mind if I rode around the neighborhood. I was quite proud of that fact. They thought I was big enough to take care of myself. I didn't realize that I was in any kind of danger. But when the boys saw me see them, they ran down and grabbed my bike. And one of them put the knife that he was using to unlock that door at my throat. And he said, if you tell anybody, we'll kill you. I won't tell nobody. I'm six. I'm kind of like, I'll be compliant. I'm good, man. So I got on my bike and I took off. I told my dad later about that. And he asked who it was and he talked to the boy's daddy. But a day or two later, I'm on my bike again. And because that happened, I had to stay. We lived in the center road of the figure eight, okay? So it kind of did like this, all right? And so now I'm relegated to that center road. I can't go past that now. I'm back and forth. And the boy who put a knife to my throat came out there to me, and he said, hey, man, I'm really sorry about what happened the other day. I said, okay, thanks. And about that time, I heard tires squealing around the corner. And a green... Oldsmobile Cutlass came tearing around there with a guy hanging out of the window. Steve, that was the guy's name who put a knife to my throat, took off running toward his house. Come to find out he knew what was going on. With a guy hanging out the window and his job was to snatch me off my bicycle. Even at six, I was pretty aggressive. No, I didn't punch him. I fell off my bike into the ditch. And they kept going. And I ran into them. I was in danger. And I didn't even know it. A few years ago, I was driving back from Tyler. Uh, my son, Ricky and Laura, and Madeline were in the car. It was dark. We were coming back from something. I don't remember what it was. But I remember this event. I had just moved over into the left lane in a four-lane road, four-lane highway, 155. And I was going to pass the car that was going a little slower than I was good for my taste. I moved over, and as I moved over, I saw headlights coming the wrong way. And as soon as that happened, I jerked the wheel back over and got into the plane. I was in danger, and I didn't even know it. As Christians, we are often in danger and unaware. This petition is asking God to help us to be aware of the danger that exists.
spiritual danger. Beware of the danger of Christian complacency. Where you just settle in and you're satisfied. Well, I'm saved and that's it. Christian life is far more than that. It is a pursuit of holiness and that's what we see here in this text. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want us to think about today of being in danger and unaware. And I want us to understand temptation. When he says, lead us not to temptation, what's he saying? What's he telling us to say? Secondly, I want us to uh, cultivate a desire for victory over sin. I believe very much that's at the heart of this petition to God, to our Father. And lastly, I want us to understand how to utilize the tools or the weapons of warfare because very much here is the thinking of spiritual warfare and engaging the enemy, Satan. So, First of all, I want us to understand temptation. Lead us not into temptation. There are two types of temptation in the scriptures. Uh, one is temptation toward evil, all right? To be tempted to sin, tempted toward evil. The other type of temptation is the temptation of testing of putting one to the test we want to uh, look and see these two types and James describes them very well in his letter and so I want to ask you to turn to James the letter of James James chapter 1 James describes these two types of temptation as coming in three different uh, sources or from three different sources or three different forms, if you will. In James 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials uh, that are temptations. That's what that word is, okay? Trials of various kinds. No, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So the various trials here, that's temptations. The word trials. It's a testing. It's speaking of testing by God. This testing has the purpose of something. This testing is the same testing that Abraham endured. Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go to a mountain. And there, sacrifice him. What will Abraham do? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us that after wrestling all night, he came to the conclusion that God could raise the dead. 
And so he obeyed and he went there. And as he was about to come down with a knife, the angel of the Lord stopped him and said, don't harm the boy. That wasn't my intent. This testing isn't so that God can find out if you're going to be faithful. This is God showing you his faithfulness to cause you to work in you to bring about that result. God was not unaware of Abraham's willingness to do what he did. Abraham was the one who wasn't sure. So there's this testing element of temptation. That's not what Matthew 6.13 is pointing to. Lead us not into temptation. That's not what it's pointing to. I just want you to know what it's not. Then in James chapter 1 verses 13 through 15, we find something where he starts talking about tempting. And he talks about that God does not tempt anyone to do evil. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That's reassuring. It's reassuring that God doesn't tempt us toward evil. He tempts us for the purpose of testing and causing our faith to grow. That's what he says in the first few verses. Cause us to grow. It produces steadfastness. And that brings about completion. Maturity. But here he says God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. He can't be tempted with it. Nor does he tempt toward it. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted... When he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So uh, temptation here is being, uh, being spoken of as each person, you, when you are lured and enticed by what? Your own desire, the desires in you to sin. The desire in you to be tempted and lured away from the things of God. So we have this reassurance coming, comes knowing God doesn't tempt us, but instead that temptation comes from within us. We're tempted by our own desires that we have not put to death. Which we should. That's not the temptation that Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, is focused on. However, turn over to James chapter 4. Just one page over. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, it says this. Uh, let me move up a little bit because 
it's all talking about warning against worldliness. And I assure you, the worldliness that is around us uh, has been systematically invaded by the evil one, <laughs> okay, uh, to where we are surrounded by worldliness and sinfulness and temptation all around. In verse 4, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here we encounter the evil one who we are to resist. We are to resist him. Now, in most cases, when we come into temptation, Paul uh, tells us to flee youthful lusts. Right? When we're tempted to sexual immorality, we are told, flee sexual immorality. But here we're told to stand and resist. Here we see much of the prayer's focus, the petition's focus. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Many scholars today choose that rendering. Either rendering has the same result. We notice that he is saying, submit to God, resist. The devil, this is the temptation when it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God certainly doesn't lead us to sin. This is not saying that God will not lead us into trials that include suffering and even death. This is not asking God to keep us from suffering not asking that certainly Job experienced such testing and trials testing from God temptation from Satan take this away he'll curse you God's like no he won't praying for a life set apart from sinning that's really good and really at the heart of this of this petition is that Lord we we want to be free set apart from sinning lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil are the same petition by the way the prayer is for spiritual protection from the evil one And from his system around us.
the request for God's help in battling temptation that leads to sin. This is a daily petition. Remember what it says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day. Hey, this day, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a daily prayer. We're daily asking him for this. Why? Because we're in constant danger from an enemy who is prowling, seeking those he may devour. He's not seeking those that are on his side. He's seeking those that are against him. I want to overwhelm them. I want to overcome them. I want to render them useless. I think I lost my mic, did I? Y'all still hear me? Okay, all right. So I, I, I want us to understand this daily necessity for this prayer. And not praying this model prayer, but knowing that these are things that we need in our life. We need to resist Satan. Keep us from that. Secondly, I want us to look at the desire, uh, desire for victory over sin. Do you have a desire to be victorious over sin in your life? Or do you indulge those pleasures? Jesus is teaching his followers to desire victory over sin. Prayer I mean, when we pray, when you pray, you are expressing desire. You are speaking a desire that f- should be flowing from your heart. It shouldn't be this, uh, this, just this repetitive thing over and over again that has no meaning to you and it doesn't flow from a heart of brokenness. Lord, I don't want to be led into this sin. But prayer expresses desire, particularly the desire of the Father. The one we're addressing, our Father. We want to apply His desire. And not only do we want to speak and pray God's desire back to Him, we want God's desire to be central in our own heart and in our own mind. I want to know the desire of God. Well, the desire of God, the will of God is your sanctification. The will of God is that sin be put to death in your life. Oh, wait a minute. Christ died for my sin. Yes, indeed, he did. And forgiven you are. But the normal Christian life is that one that is constantly shaving off and being renewed and being transformed and being changed to where we no longer desire sin we rid ourselves putting to death sin his desire is that we encounter the temptation to sin or encounter the enemy and his schemes his desire is that we discern and resist them Jesus is our example. Where else do you hear this language, lead us not into temptation? 
you hear back in Matthew chapter 4, don't you? Where it specifically tells us that Jesus, after his baptism, was led into the wilderness to be tempted. Isn't that true? And while he was there, he fasted 40 days in the wilderness. He was weak because he had a human body. I'm sure his mind was a little fuzzy, perhaps, maybe. But what happened? He was tempted. And he endured that temptation. We're not led as he was into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. This actually, in Matthew chapter 4, is a replay of Eden. Where Adam, the first Adam, engaged in a confrontation with Satan, the serpent, and failed. But here we have Jesus, the second Adam, going out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And he succeeds. He resists the devil. He submits to the Father, although he is truly God. And is victorious over the temptation that came toward him. One of the things Jesus said to us, watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. Be alert, he's saying. Be awake. And pray. Be engaged spiritually. I think one of the problems that we face so often is that we're Not alert, but we're distracted. I think we're distracted and we become complacent in a minefield. Not really a place to be complacent, is it? Not really a place to be settled into. Instead, we should be engaged, we should be... uh, fed by the word of God, and we should be aware and alert always. We should watch and pray. Essentially, this petition is a desire to holiness. We want to be set apart to not sin. We want to be set apart to walk in a particular way, a way of holiness. We don't want the stain of sin but the sparkle of holiness. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, I don't want this life of sinfulness. I want a life that's changed and new. I'll ever get into a place where you're just settled in your relationship with Jesus. Where what you have is good enough. I get up and I go to church every Sunday. 
Occasionally I'll read the Bible, sometimes I don't. You ever just get complacent? Not apathetic. Apathetic is having no concern whatsoever. I do not believe there's a such thing as an apathetic Christian. But I believe there's a lot of complacent Christians. Where we just settle in. And we don't seek to grow in Christ. We stop having battles against sin. You ever get there? You ever get there where you're just in a place where reading the Bible just really isn't that important to you? You'll do it if you have time. Or maybe your prayer life is like that. You'll do it if you have time. Very much, I believe, this petition is about, Lord, don't let me grow complacent. Lord, help me beware of the danger around me as a believer in Jesus Christ because the enemy is real and he is active. And he wants me. He wants your family. Hey, Rick, you're scaring me. He wants the minds of your children. He wants them. He wants to raise up a whole generation of children who will be adults that will be against the truth of the gospel. Satan wants that. There should be, I know there are some mamas up there out there right now, it's kind of like, bring it. You ain't getting my kids. Don't be complacent. I want to bring this to bear in your life. That's it. Satan wants the minds of your children. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil or the evil one. James helps us here. Uh, back over into James. Let me, because I want I want us to, to carry a couple of tools with us. How is it that I engage? How is it that I uh, uh, that I have this victory over sin? How is it that I resist and stand against this temptation? What does you mean, James, when you say submit to God? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the word it is the word anti and the word to stand. Okay, the two Greek words. And they're put together and they're one word. And so it's to stand against. We are to stand against, we are to resist. To stand and apply pressure is another way of thinking about it. The word implies sure-footedness in the faith and powerful pressure that cannot be overcome. All right? That's, that's what's going on here. Sure-footedness in the faith and powerful pressure that cannot be overcome. Well, what is that? It's the word 
of God. Isn't that what Jesus applied in the wilderness? It was the word of God. Satan tempted him, using scripture to his own end. Jesus took it and used it rightly against his enemy. Resistance is uh, uh, the sure-footedness in the faith. That's the Christian faith. That's not just any faith, but it's the faith that points us to salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Found in the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. We find here that this resistance is something that cannot be overcome by Satan. How, how do you know that? Look what he says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's going to turn away. Isn't that what he did with Jesus in the wilderness? It tells us that he left Jesus after that third time. Jesus said, be gone. And Satan left him until a more opportune time. That more opportune time came in Gethsemane. Where Jesus is praying, knowing that the cross is imminent. And he didn't budge then either. And he didn't budge when he stretched out his arms on the cross and died. He didn't budge. It can't be overcome. It's so vital for us to know the Word of God. I, I want to, can I just say this for a moment? I say this every once in a while. I probably don't say it enough. I am so, it, it's almost like I, I, I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it. And I'll ask God to forgive me later if it convicts me. I am so proud of you. You parents, you grandparents. I'm so proud of you. Of how you make the word of God so central. In your homes. I turned around this morning with the fighter verse. Y'all might not have noticed, but I was sitting down. I, I didn't do a very good job memorizing that fighter verse this week, but I turned around. And gobs, that's an official word, gobs of people were standing up, spewing out the word of God. How will you resist Satan if you do not know the word of God? You can't. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Resist. Let's stand for I'm not moving. I'm not moving. This is the faith of my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not moving from it. He's going to give you a shove. You shove back with the word of God. Learning self-defense, 
full contact karate, the little time I spent in that. One thing that they taught you is if somebody comes and they lay hands on you, to push you, your hands come up and you get them right away. You will throw them off because they think they're the aggressor. Immediately, the Word of God. Spirit of God gives you the Word of God that you've been reading, that you've been memorizing, that you've been applying to life. Resist him, it says. I don't have time for all this. I tell you that. I, I, I knew I didn't. I, I left space at the end of my notes today. I usually don't do that. This resistance is submission to God. Submit to God, therefore. Resist the devil. That resistance is employing and applying the submission to God that we should all have as believers in Jesus Christ. Submission to bring oneself under the authority and protection of another. James goes on and he says there, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So we come into his presence. You say, God sometimes feels very distant. Back in the day before bucket seats, people used to sit right next to them, right? Husband driving down the road, there's the wife right next to him. Years and years down the road, you know, they're as far apart as they could possibly get in the front seat of that car, and they look up, and there's a girl, and she had to be sitting on the little, the, the, the armrest, because that's all you have anymore is bucket seats. Don't have bench seats anymore. And she looked over there, and she asked him, she said, uh, hey, you know, you remember when we used to sit like that? I sure wish we would be that close again. He just kept on driving and said, I didn't move. God is unmoving, God is unchanging, and if you find yourself at a distance from God, you can know that He didn't move. He never moves. Draw near to Him, He's right where you left Him. Draw near to God, He says. If we're going to submit, we're going to draw near to Him. And not only are we going to draw near, but we're going to despise and grieve our sin and sinfulness. Thirdly, we're going to be Undivided. He goes on and he says, draw near, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You can't be worldly and a Christian. You're killing one of those things. You're killing it day by day. That sinfulness. You're killing it. You have to be undivided. You know the word that we use often to describe to for, for that word that that undivided it speaks of being being divided being double-minded speaks of taking a cloth and tearing it in two and having two parts of one you can't have that in the christian life it's the word integrity it means undivided we're undivided in our allegiances to god and we desire everything over him it's important for us to understand that in other places ephesians chapter 6 
1 Peter chapter 5, Peter instructs Christians to be sober and watchful. That is to be of sound judgment, to be discerning, to be able to recognize the evil that is in this world. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you find yourself in a place of complacency, I want you to think of, of, Psalm, of Psalm 103. Talked about that before. I'm going to talk about it again. You ever find yourself distant? Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all the things He's done for you. You ever sing that, that song? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. You ever sing that? Singing is a worship song. You know what that psalm is saying? It's speaking to your own soul, your own dead, complacent soul. Soul, why are you complacent before the living God? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's begging his soul to worship. That's what's going on in that psalm. And if you're in that place and you don't feel submitted, you sense this desire for victory over sin to be fading, go to that psalm and read it. But I have this psalm that I often go to, Psalm 119. There's a little portion of it that just resonates with me. And it reminds me never to let go of the one who never moves. If I'm going to stand and I'm going to resist, I'm going to do so in the power of the one who is unchanging. And in Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day. For all things are your servants. This is the one that always gets me. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I would have made it. In a number of ways, that resonates very personally to me. Jesus is instructing us as believers to ask God, ask your Father every single day. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Make us aware, Father, of the danger and then supply every need that we have to stand firm. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word and for the promises of your word that encourage us to stand. And Lord, we want to stand. Uh, we want to stand firm in our faith that is grounded in the word of God. We want to stand firm in our faith. And Lord, we want to be diligent and skillful in applying pressure against the onslaught that Satan throws at us and against your church.
We want to stand firm. And we want to never falter. No matter what it costs. So help us, God, as kingdom citizens to walk and to live, to stand firm in the faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.